that fire to desist and stop in Jesus' mighty name. Father, we ask that you give the those that are fighting that fire supernatural wisdom, strength, and knowledge, knowing just what to do, how to get the fire out quickly and effectively. Father, there's both structure fire and woodland fire, and those two fires are fought very differently. So, Father, we thank you for having your hand in that situation, and that it is cleared and that it's cleaned up and cleared immediately in Jesus' mighty name, with no injuries, with with no problems. And Father, those that lost their house today, I've understood it was a house that could have just been a structure, but whatever it was, Father. Father, we ask that you take care of them and lead them and guide them as they move forward. Now, Father, we also lift up our brother Cam to you tonight um, as he's getting ready to go have his wisdom teeth pulled uh, here in the next, in the upcoming week. Father, give the doctor supernatural wisdom and knowledge, ability. Give Cam peace and health. And, Father, we just ask that those teeth come out just quickly and easily and that he has a smooth recovery in Jesus' mighty name. Now, Father, we lift up Delora to you, Father. Father, she's had uh, these procedures multiple times. And so, Father, we just ask that you sustain her body, you strengthen her body, Father, we continue to stand and declare that her arteries and veins, Father God, that they're healthy, that they're open, that there's no blockages, that you give the doctor wisdom and knowledge, knowing just what to do, that you strengthen her heart. Father, if there's any spirit of addiction uh, still operating in her life, that that spirit is bound and gone once and for all. Father, we ask that you strengthen Miss Patty uh, as she's dealing with Delora, as Brother Randy's out of town. And, Father, we just ask that you strengthen her, equip her, enable her to, to take care of all that needs to be taken care of while Dolores having this procedure. And, Father, we give you the glory and the honor. Father, we bring Angie Oliver to you, Father God. Father, she needs a miracle. Father, we've prayed for her in times past about cancer. And, Father, you healed her. But, Father, she's under attack once again. And so, Father, we just stand with the family and we ask for a miracle for her in Jesus' mighty name. Now, Father, we also lift up to you um, Jason, Father God. Father, we just ask that you have your hand upon him. Father, you know that Michael and myself, Miss Ann and uh, Richard and Brooke have already prayed. And so, Father, we thank you. Father, we put you in remembrance that he's, the, he's one of those ones that we stood for on January 1st. And, Father, right now where everything looks like it's just total upheaval, where it looks like right now that maybe there's no hope, Father, there's always hope when we keep our face turned towards you. And so, Father, we just continue to stand, and we thank you that you are gonna that you have already begun to, and you are continuing to speak to him, him in his situation, and that you're revealing yourself to him. You're revealing his good, your goodness to him. And, Father, that you're drawing him to salvation. You're drawing him into a supernatural changed life. And, Father, we thank you for it. Father, we ask that you comfort Brooke and you comfort Richard and you comfort Patty and, Father, the rest of the family as they go through this situation with him and that you give them supernatural wisdom, revelation, and knowledge, knowing just what to do. 
Father, we glorify you that the COVID that left the scarring in Daryl's lungs has been greatly reduced. But, Father, we continue to stand for a complete and total miracle in Daryl's lungs in Jesus' mighty name. Father, we like that the healing is working, but we stand for a complete and total healing. Father, we stand with Mitchell, Father God, as, as uh, he works with the doctors to receive divine healing for, his, for the swelling in his legs caused by the heart condition. And, Father, we just ask that he have supernatural favor with the VA, that he have supernatural favor with the doctors, and that this condition would be resolved sooner rather than later. And, Father, that you continue to sustain him in Jesus' name and his wife. And, Father, lastly, we lift up our brother Derek to you. Father, you know he's going through a great transition in his life. Father, we put you in remembrance that you have spoken over him time and time and time again that you were going to do a great miracle in him. And, Father, we know that you are doing a great miracle. Sometimes it looks worse before it gets better. But, Father, we thank you that he's continuing to improve day by day. And, Father, we give you glory and honor. Now, Lord, we, thank we you, thank Father. you for being with us this evening. We thank you that, that, uh, that, that you, you prepared our hearts and, and as we prepare our hearts and that we be, that we be good ground for your word. And Lord, we ask, me and Robbie ask that you use, use us as, as your, as your mouthpiece. Use us to, to, to speak to those that are here, those that, that come eager to hear your word for them and, and speak directly what they need. In Jesus' name. Father, we glorify you. We glorify you. Satan, we bind you off of this word, off of this message, off of this service, off of the minds and the ears of the people that hear this message. And, and uh, you release them and let them go. Angels, go and help a minute, help to minute. You can't preach the word, but you can help to deliver. Just help deliver wisdom and understanding uh, and ability to the people. And so we command you to bring prosperity and understanding to the people's lives. And we give, God, Father, we give you all the glory. Amen and amen. amen. Well, let's do our confession tonight. Glory to God. Let's do our confession. Let's not forget what this wonderful book is. Mm-hmm. Let us not forget. This is this my, my Bible. Bible. It, it is, is always true and the final authority. My Bible is God talking to me. I read this word daily. I meditate on this word day and night. This word is rooted and grounded in my heart. This word feeds and grows my spirit. Therefore, my flesh does not control me. I walk according to the Spirit. I am a child of God. I have the mind of Christ. God's thoughts are my thoughts. God's words are my words. God's actions are my actions. I am a doer of the Word. Glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you, Father. We'll go ahead and turn to John 10.10. John 10.10. Glory to God, and uh, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Glory to God. Uh, while y'all are in John ten ten, I want to I want to just remind you of what James one twenty two says. James one twenty two says, 
But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. If we are not careful to be a doer of the word, then we will deceive ourselves. There's a lot of people that say, amen, hallelujah, praise the Lord. You know, Jesus is my Savior, Jesus is my Lord. Um, But they really don't have anything but mental assent. What is mental assent? It means they believe in Jesus with their head, but not with their heart. Um, You know, and then other ones believe in Jesus with their heart, but they don't agree with his word. Well, that's a problem because Jesus is the word. So you can believe in him, but not agree with him. And uh, that's not a good place to be. That's not a good situation. That's not a good place to be. That's not where you want to be. Where you want to be is you want to be a doer of the word in every area of life. And one of the biggest areas in life that Christians miss being a doer of the word, and honestly, I don't, uh, it's not really most Christians' fault. Now, I say that, but if if you're a Christian, you have the Bible. And if you have the Bible, you're supposed to read your Bible. And if you read your Bible, you're supposed to ask God to help you to understand it. So there's some accountability there. But at the same time, God gave you a gift. Jesus gave you a gift, and that gift is a pastor. And most pastors, uh, most people that declare themselves to be pastors um, are not, and I hate to say this, I'm not going to say most, I'll, I'll be more generous, but a large number of people that stand in the pulpit that claim to be a pastor um, don't really understand what the role of a pastor is. Uh, in fact, many of them don't go by the title pastor. Many of them go by the title father or, uh, or reverend or uh, most, a lot of them go by preacher, preacher so-and-so. And preacher and pastor are two different things. Preacher, in fact, every believer of Jesus Christ is called to be a preacher. Yep. They are called to, to be a preacher means you are a person who proclaims. What does it mean to proclaim? It means you talk about Jesus a lot. Uh, a pastor is a, different, is a different thing altogether. And the reason that a lot of times uh, the, the office of pastor is misunderstood is because pastor is only used seven times in the entire Bible. And only one of those times is in the New Testament. The one time that you see the word pastor in the New Testament is in Ephesians 4. Uh, It's here in Ephesians 4 that we see that, and I'm not going to go back and look at the scripture. You can go read Ephesians 4 for yourself. But in Ephesians 4, we see that Jesus said he gave some prophets or some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastor teacher. Now, even though the word pastor is only used one time in the New Testament, doesn't mean that that word, that Greek word, was only used one time in the original text. In fact, that Greek word was used 17 times in the New Testament. 17 times. And six of those 17 times is right here in John chapter 10. And this is why we're taking so long in John chapter 10 is because there's a lot to learn in John chapter 10 about the pastor. And uh, so we're, but we're going to look at all of these, through this study, we're going to look at all of these different accounts 
And uh, when we get to one of the scriptures, you're going to be shocked to find out that uh, there's another name for pastor in the New Testament other than shepherd. So let's pick up here in John 10.10. And the reason we're picking up here is because last week we dropped, we left off at John 10.11. So we're not, for the sake of time, we're not going to go back over the first 10 verses. Uh, you need to go back and listen to the Wednesday nights uh, last week and the week before. So let's just pick up here in John 10.10. 10. Okay, at 10 then? All right. Mm-hmm. I thought we were going to go with 11, but okay. No, we'll pick up at 10. All right. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. All right. So we pointed out last week, you know, and, and, you, and Christians all, and Christians at any time in the Word, they'll tell you, oh, I know John 10, 10. The thief cometh but to steal, kill, and destroy. That's talking about Satan. And it 100% is talking about Satan. But when you put it in the context of the full chapter or the full writing, when you put it in that full context, um, John 10 is not talking only about Satan. It's actually doing a comparison of Satan the thief to Jesus the good shepherd. And that's talking about from a spiritual perspective. But then it's also talking about thieves and robbers and in our prior study we found out that that word thieves um, in other places is actually translated uh, false teachers and Jesus warned us about false teachers and when he says robbers he says these are people that have come up to basically steal so when you have a false teacher or someone that has come into the pulpit that Jesus didn't put there um, if Jesus didn't put him in the pulpit then they got in the pulpit one of two ways. Either Satan got them into that position, false teacher, the thief put one of his thieves in that position, or there's a third way. And so let's read on and find out about the third way, that uh, the third type of pastor that's out there. So the thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and destroy. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Now, I want you to notice in John 10, 10, he said, I am come, I the shepherd and come, so that you might have life and have it more abundantly. A God-called, God-anointed, God-appointed, God-ordained pastor comes for the same reason. Now, I'm not talking about a pastor that put himself in office because that's what he felt like he should do or because he misheard. The voice that he heard was actually a seducing spirit and not the voice of God. No, I'm talking about a, a, a person that has been called by God, that has responded to the calling, which qualified them to be chosen. Then they fought, then they followed being chosen they were a doer of the word and then god anointed them and appointed them and ordained them to be the pastor that's that's an actual pastor from the godhead but if if they come in we saw in uh verses one through five that if they come in some pastor comes in some other way then then god was the one that put them there then they fall in as a thief which means that uh, they're following Satan. Now, as we pointed out last week, 
shepherd and pastor are pretty much interchangeable. They right. are the same word, just translated differently. Right. And in the context of this chapter, shepherd fits better. Right. But you could say the good pastor, and, and the good pastor giveth his life for the sheep. Or for the congregation. Or for the congregation. Yep. So, uh, going verse on. Verse 12. Verse 12. But he that is an hireling, and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, and leaveth the sheep, and fleeth. And the wolf catches them, and scattereth the sheep. Now here Jesus said, but now there's a hireling. There's a hireling. So there is a way for somebody to come into the pastorship that's not by the hand of Satan, but it's also not by the hand of God. And this is the way that a large percentage of pastors come into office is they come in through the hand of man, through the hand of man. The word hireling literally means a wage worker. It's somebody that does the job for a wage. They're not doing the job for any other reason than they are getting paid. Michael was reading recently about, was it Martin Luther? I think it was Martin Luther you were reading about that, um, was it, I think it was Martin Luther. It's one of them. Uh, well, anyways, one of our old fathers of faith at the age of 12, check this out. At the age of 12, I think that was Calvin. But Calvin. Yeah. It was Calvin. That's who it was. Calvin. At the age of 12, John Calvin was paid by the Catholic Church to be one of the pastors in the Catholic Church, but he never pastored. Never preached. Never preached. See, he had title of pastor, but it was simply so he could get a wage. He could, only, he, he could get a wage. Not only did he get paid by the Catholic Church, but then he got over here into another area, and there was a second church that paid him a wage to be on staff there. So he was getting paid by the Catholic Church overall, and then he was getting paid by, by two separate individual churches, and he never did anything for that church, for either one of those two churches either. That's called a, a, a hireling. <gasps> you mean John Calvin was nothing more than a hireling? For a large portion of his life, that's true. And he felt guilty about it. That's part of why he, he fought to change the way the system was. Right. And that's why he brought change, brought change is because he, he saw that he was nothing more than a hireling. And, uh, so a, and so there's a lot of people that get put into an office or they'll take a pastorship simply because uh, the church is willing to pay them what they need to be paid. It's a job. It's nothing more than a job to them. Uh, we grew up in the in the Episcopal Church, and nothing against them whatsoever in any way, shape, or form. But I remember when the pastorship, when our pastor left, uh, there was a big to-do about hiring the new pastor. And they had to go through, and I remember there was at least two that they offered the job to, and they said, oh, I, that, you don't, you're not offering me enough money. I can't, I can't pastor this church. It wasn't about the people. It was about the money. It wasn't about the people, and it wasn't about the calling of God no. and where he wanted that pastor. No. Um, so, uh, and we see this in a lot of churches. It's about the money. So, and, and, and this is why Jesus said, now, don't get me wrong, and, I, and, and let's balance this out. 
There are people that will know that they have a call on their life. And they do have a call on their life. And they go to seminary. But their denomination or their seminary, their Bible college teaches them that this is how the pastorship works. But they never take the time to get into the word to read the word for themselves. And so they don't qualify as a false teacher, but they don't qualify as a God-called pastor either. They're just doing what man has told them to do. And so they said, you know, you find the congregation that's the size that you want, that's got the, you know, that meets all these needs. And basically the pastor interviews the church just like the church interviews the man. And it's all about the wage. Well, Jesus said, and, and, uh, and this was even a common practice in their day, or Jesus wouldn't have talked about it. But Jesus gives us some examples of why this is a bad pastor. Let's read some things. <clears throat> So, verse 12, but he that is a hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, and leaveth the sheep, and fleeth. So, here the hireling, the hireling will look over the flock, and, and he'll know the word. I mean, the hire, you have to know the word to some degree to qualify as a hireling. So, he can look out, and he can see that the congregation has doors open to sin. And that the wolf is going to come and that the wolf is going to attack the sheep. But because the sheep aren't his and he wants, and he doesn't want to go without a paycheck, he just goes off and ministers something else and leaves the sheep to be eaten. He leaves the sheep to be eaten. He says, well, the wolf's coming. The wolf's coming. I mean, we've seen this. We've heard story after story of story after this where ministers just get up in the middle of the night, pack up, and leave. Never, I mean, it happens a lot. It happens way more than you think it would. They just, why? Because, they're, because there's so much strife, because the thief, the thief is at work to such a degree that they're overwhelmed, and the, and the pastor looks out over this and says, this ain't worth the money, and he runs away. He runs away. He says, notice what it says. Jesus says, it doesn't say that the hireling is unaware of the wolf. Notice what it says. It says he sees him coming. It says, who's, he said, these aren't your own sheep. In other words, this, this person does not actually, I mean, don't get me wrong. He has human compassion for the people. But he's not considering these sheep to be his responsibility. He's like, I've ministered the word to him the best I can. That's the job I can do. And I'm out. He sees the trouble. He sees the problem. He sees what's going on. It says, but he, he says, he sees the wolf coming. This is why so many people think that a hireling is a good minister is because they'll see that he has some biblical knowledge. He has some biblical wisdom. He or she, it's not, it's not only men, he or she, and fleeth. And then the wolf catches them, the sheep, and scattereth the sheep. Now, that word scattereth, when it talks about the sheep being scattered, it means that the sheep are thrown down, that they are deliberately hurled. And the indication is, is they are deliberately hurled out in front of the enemy so that they can be consumed. Basically, the hireling puts the congregation between him and the wolf. He says, 
<laughs> don't eat me, eat them. That's not a good that's not a good pastor. Not a good situation. Let's keep going. All right, thirteen. The the hireling fleeth because he is a hireling and careth not for the sheep. That's why he leaves. That's why he leaves. That's why he bails that's why the hireling bails ship. Now Here's another reason why a hireling will bail ship. Because there are some hirelings, and I want you to be I want you I want to be hundred percent clear about this. You can get a hireling in an office, and they can have that true call of God on their on their life. And they can get in there with a heart of, I'm gonna make these people my sheep. But the problem is, is those sheep don't belong to that hireling. And we've seen time and time again through this teaching, we're about to see it here again in a minute, Jesus said, my sheep will only listen to my voice. We saw earlier that the sheep will only listen to the voice of their shepherd. So you have a hireling in position. That hireling has a call of ministry. They want to take care of the sheep like they've been anointed and appointed by God. So they begin to try to preach correction to the sheep, and the sheep throw a fit. And before you know it, the board is kicking the pastor out because he's trying to correct sheep that aren't his to correct. This happens all the time, all the time, all the time. Let's look at it. Let's read. All right. I am the good shepherd. Verse 14. Mm-hmm. Sorry. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. Now, I want you to notice that in this verse, sheep is italicized. Sheep is italicized, which means that word my could be translated the word mine. So I want you to really pay attention here. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd um, and I know mine and am known of mine. In other words, sheep actually know the Father's voice, actually know Jesus' voice. Should. And, and they are, they, let's, put, let's actually rephrase it this way. Jesus knows who is truly a sheep, and those that are truly a sheep know Jesus. See, sheep have a relationship with their shepherd. They have a relationship with their shepherd. You won't have a relationship like this with your hireling because your hireling is only in it for the money, for the most part. He's only in it for the money. But I want you to notice, he said, I am a good shepherd. I know mine. This, this I know mine indicates that, this, that, this, that, the, that Jesus knows these sheep intimately. How much you know the Bible says he knows how many hairs are on your head at any given moment of the day? How much you know the Bible says that your shepherd keeps your tears in a bottle in heaven? Your shepherd knows the true state of your heart. See, your shepherd knows he knows he knows what sins so easily beset you. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your strengths. He knows what he's spoken to your heart. He knows what you have been he knows what you're accountable for because he knows what you have heard. He knows you intimately. And not only does your shepherd know you personally, but your but you also know your shepherd. Your shepherd 
there's an interaction there. There's an understanding there that is not there with a hireling or with a false teacher. Um, let's keep going. As the Father knoweth me, even so I know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, a true pastor or an under-shepherd, we could say it that way, a true under-shepherd, one that has called, chosen, anointed, appointed, and ordained, will, um, I just lost my thought, here we go, uh, will lay down their life for you. They will. They'll put their life on hold. You call them with some, with some situation, they'll drop everything they have, they've got going on. They'll get to you as fast as they can. That you can call them in the middle of the night and they'll answer. You know, they're always 100% available. It's a, it's a wonderful thing to watch when we are at meetings. You know, every office, the prophet's office, the, the evangelist's office, the apostle's office, the teacher's office, they're all extremely important offices. But when you get a bunch of ministers around each other, something incredible happens. There's actually higher honor given amongst ministers to the pastor than any other office. Is that not true? As far as how we respond to one another, we don't tell, we don't typically, for the most part, typically we don't go, hey, evangel, oh, thank you, evangelist so and so. But when we, when we, you know, hey, but when it's a pastor, we're like, hey, pastor so and so, thank you, pastor so. We're constantly giving a little bit of extra honor to the pastor's office because amongst those five offices, the one office that never gets a day off, as far as 24-7, the evangelist doesn't normally have somebody calling them at midnight going, hey, man, I need you to save me. That's usually a pastor or a fellow Christian. That's usually not the evangelist. Usually the evangelist rolls into town, does his meeting, leaves, and the pastors are there to pick up all the newborn babies. I don't know if I'd call it higher, but I would call it extra and extra they they're 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 esteemed a little bit more they're esteemed a little bit more and again the offices themselves are equal but amongst ministers ministers understand that the pastors there you know will be in a meeting and 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 somebody's phone will go off even though we're like hey turn your phones off or you'll see somebody reach in their pocket and up and all of a sudden they're out the door 99 percent of the time guess who that is that's a pastor it's a pastor because there's something going on with their flock most of the time. Where the other offices, they don't get those, for the most part, they don't get those types of interruptions. Why is that? Because the pastor, the shepherd, will lay down their life. The shep- if you will submit to a shepherd, the shepherd will get between you and the devil. The shepherd will get between you and the enemy. The shepherd will kind of intervene and say, whoa, whoa, hey, I've noticed you've kind of gotten off into off track here a little bit. Hey, you've kind of opened some doors. The pastor will kind of get up in your business a little bit to help get the enemy off of you. The pastor will get up in the middle of the night and pray for you. That's part of another sermon that's coming. But the pastor will lay down their life for you. Um, you know, you call him in the middle of the night. I mean, if something... Say a pastor's got somebody in their church that's being abused. 
And the pastor's been working on him and working on him and trying to get him out of that relationship and trying to get out of there. And 2 o'clock in the morning, the phone rings. And and uh, it's the police. And they say, do you know so-and-so? Yeah, they're a member of my congregation. Well, they've just been arrested. Will you? Uh, they're requesting your presence. Guess what the pastor's going to do? pastor's rolling out of bed and going down to the jail. Why? Because she just killed her husband or whatever. And now she's now she's suffering the consequences. I don't like that example. Well, I mean, but that's I'm just saying. I'm just saying. You get in a car accident. Guess what? Middle of the night, you get in a car accident. Guess who's coming to the hospital? You wake up, you know, you wake up in the middle of the night and you've got I mean, you've got pain in your belly like you've never felt in your day in your life and you ain't got nobody to take you to the hospital. Guess who's calling? The pa- who guess who's coming? The pastor. The hireling's going to say, dial 911. I mean, come on. Come on. Well, I'll tell them to dial 911, too, but well, I'm still coming. Well, if it's bad enough, we'll, we'll, you know, <laughs> if it's bad enough, we'll tell you, get 911, we'll meet you there. But if it's like, oh, my belly, you know, we're thinking, you put, you've had kidney stones six times. You know what this is. You know what I'm saying? They'll lay down the life for you. Come on. Verse 16. You just made me think of Jackie when she, when she, when, when the house, when her house was on fire and she calls me, what do I do? Have you called the fire department? No. <laughs> I was like, call 911. I'll be there in a minute. <laughs> I don't know. There's smoke coming from strange place. I think my house is on fire. But let me call my pastor first. That was, right. All right. Let's keep going. Verse 16. Uh, Okay. <laughs> Moving on. Verse 17, right? Yeah. 16. Is it 16? Okay. 16. All right. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Now, here Jesus is talking about, Jesus is talking about himself, and he's talking about the church universal. He said, because he's talking to the Jews. Right here, he's talking to the Pharisees. He said, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. Remember what the sheepfold is. The sheepfold is the enclosure that the sheep are gathered in at night. So what is a sheepfold? It's the local church. It's the local church. And there's a pastor that belongs to that local church. Um, however, Jesus is talking about the huge sheepfold that has all of the Jews in it. And he says, but, he says, so he says, he says, I have other sheep besides the Jews. He says, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. He said, he said, yep, Jews, you're my sheep, but I have other sheep besides the Jews. Who are the other sheep? The Gentiles. That's us. That's us. He's talking about us. Now, not only is he talking about us, but he is also talking about individual local churches. Because how much you know, Jesus can't go have church with everybody every time. You, you can't you can't bring all of the United States or all of the Gentiles into one church. All, can you imagine a church big enough that everybody all over the world piled into on Sunday? That's not going to work. So what's he talking about? He's talking about I have other sheepfolds. Listen, we can't even if we wanted to. Even if we had. Uh, uh, you know, had a bigger facility and all that. There's no way Pastor Mike and I could pastor everybody in Murphy, North Carolina, or in nope. Cherokee County. Why? 
because we're not going to fit everybody in one building, number one. There's not enough of us to go around. There's not enough of us to go around. And number two, not, our personality is not right for every person. Our, our, the way we minister is not right for every person. Different people need to be ministered different ways. So Jesus, and, and we see this because look at what it says. He's talking to the Jews and he says, And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, colon, colon, which means what I'm fixing to say applies to what I just said. Let's look at what he said. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. So here he said, there, he said I'm, at some point I'm going to bring all the folds together, and there's going to be one fold and one shepherd. Well, now wait a minute. If he says at some point there's going to be one fold and one shepherd, then that must mean that currently, or or at some point, let's say it this way, at some point there has to be multiple shepherds. Now I want you to understand that at this point, because we're in the book of John, Jesus had not yet been to the cross. He had not been yet crucified. He had not yet redeemed us from the curse. So they were still living under the Old Testament. It wasn't until Jesus came out of the grave and ascended on high and gave the baptism of the Holy Ghost that the New Testament church was established. So what Jesus is talking about here is he's foreshadowing the New Testament church. Which is because they're all looking, because remember the Jews are looking for one God. They're looking for one Messiah. But here he says, I have other sheep that are not part of this fold, which causes them to go, now, wait a minute, we're looking for one, and now you're talking about there's going to be more. And then he says, he said, I must bring, he said, I must bring them all together. They're going to hear one voice, and there's going to be one fold and one shepherd, which means at some point there's going to be multiple shepherds or multiple pastors. Michael and I are not your Jesus. Michael and I are not your Lord, we're not your Savior. Jesus is. But everything that we do points you to him. Or should. Or it should, if you'll respond, if you'll be a doer of the word. Everything that we do points you to him. So we are, an extent, as pastors, we are a direct extension of Jesus, the shepherd, into your life. But now there's, other, there's plenty of other churches. As long as, there's not a, as long as it's not a hireling in the pulpit or a false teacher in the pulpit, then they are also a God-called, God-ordained, God-anointed, God-appointed pastor that have sheep assigned to them by the porter, which is the Father God. Go back and read uh, the first part of this chapter. All right. So is everybody following me? We got all that? All right. Let's keep going. All right. Verse 17. Therefore doth my father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man take it from me, but I lay it down myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my father. Now this verse is so powerful. We don't even understand how powerful this verse is. He said, he said, therefore, doeth my father love me because I choose to lay down my life. Because I choose to give up my life, my father loves me. 
The scriptures tell us that in order to find your life, you're going to have to lose your life. Jesus said, you are going to have to hate your mother, hate your father, hate your brother, hate your sister, hate your children if you're going to be called my disciple. Now, that doesn't mean that you hate them, despise them. It does not mean, girl, I hate them, they're awful, because to hate your brother means you're a murderer. So that sounds contradictory. No, what it means is you're going to, if you are going to follow me and be my disciple, you're going to have to lay down your life and do what I request, not what your husband requests, not what your mother requests, not what your wife or your children request, but you're going to have to choose to lay down your life for me. And if you'll lay your life down for me, then I'll know that you love me because you're being a doer of the word. Well, guess what? Jesus doesn't require that of us simply because. He requires that that of us because that's what the Father required of him. That's what the Father required of him. Therefore, that's what Jesus required of us. But notice what he said. He said, no man taketh it from me. No man or woman, can take your life from you unless you allow it. Unless you allow it. He said, he said, you know, Jesus, you know, remember when he went before Pontius Pilate? And he was like, why won't you defend yourself? And he told Pontius, he said, no man taketh my life except I lay my life down. He basically said, and he said there in the, in the jury, he said, do you not know that I could call an a, a legion of angels? And my father would send, he'd call on my father and he'd send 12 legions of angels to clear this thing up? Oh, he would. But Jesus of his own free will and of his own free choice said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to lay my life down. See, his, he, you know, and I've heard people say, man, I wish I had that kind of power over my life where I got to choose how I live my life and what I do with my life. It's 100% in your hands. It's 100% up to you. Either you're going to follow God or you're going to follow the devil. Either you're going to follow your spirit or you're going to follow your flesh. It's 100% your choice. He said, no man taketh my life, but I lay it down myself. I have the power to lay it down. Satan cannot, even Satan, listen to me, the devil, listen to me, the devil cannot take you out, listen to me, the devil cannot take you out unless you allow him to do it. Unless you get in agreement with him, unless you say, oh, Satan, you want me dead, okay, I'm going to kill myself. That's your choice. You're using your power to lay down your life. Well, I just, I just can't help but drink this alcohol. Yes, you can. You're choosing not to use your power, but you can. He said, I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power. Look at what he said. I have the power to take my life up again. If you say, well, I'm just too weak, you need to get into the word. Because if you're in Christ, you already have the power that you need to overcome any issue that you struggle with in your life. The power is in you because God is in you. And he gave you that power. Notice what Jesus said. He said, this commandment I have received of my father. The father said, son, go to the earth. 
He said, son, I need you to willingly go to the earth, be an example for the people, be separated from me, go into the pits of hell, and, and after, the, after the penalty is paid, I will send the Holy Ghost to you, and I will, and I will bring you up because you will be sinless, and the, and the grave will have no legal right to sustain you. Uh, he said, so I want you to go do that. And Jesus pondered on it for a while in heaven. How do you know? Wouldn't you ponder it for a while? Yeah. He pondered it for a while, and then he went back to the Father, and he said, You know, Lord, you told me it's in my choice. It's my choice if I get to lay down my life. It's my choice when I get to pick up my life. I'll do it. I'll do it. And I trust you that you will send the Holy Ghost when it's time. See, Jesus himself had to trust the Father with his own life. So he went, and he did it. And he... and, and and notice, but notice it said that he said, this commandment have I received of my father. Jesus knew that when the father made the request, he knew it wasn't really a request. He knew it was a command. He said, son, I need you to go do this. And Jesus said, okay. And, G- and the father is saying the same thing to you. Jesus is saying the same thing to each one of us. I'm asking you, really I'm commanding you to lay down your life for me. And in doing so, you'll gain life. How much do you know Jesus had greater authority when he came out of the grave than he had before he went into the grave? Now think that through. Because the whole room just went crickets on me. Jesus had more authority, power, might, and dominion after he came out of the grave than he did before he went into the grave. Huh? Huh? Because he defeated Satan. Because remember, Satan is the God of this world, but Jesus is the God over Satan. When, sa- when, God, when, G- when the name of Jesus is used, Satan must bow. Remember, when God, when, when God quickened Jesus, the scripture, when the Holy Spirit quickened Jesus, the scripture tells us that God gave him a name above every name. God gave him a throne and made his enemies his footstool. That was not the case before he went to the grave. But after he came out of the grave, that was the case. So in order for Jesus to obtain the fullness of his life, he had to do exactly what he asked us to do. Let's just read a few more scriptures. All right. There was a division, therefore, again, among the Jews for these sayings. And many of them said, He hath the devil, and is mad. Why hear ye him? Others said, These are not the spirit-spoken words of him that hath a devil. Can a devil open the eyes of the blind? And it was at Jerusalem, the feast of the dedication, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then came the Jews around about him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus has been walking around doing miracles, doing signs, healing people, preaching the word under the power of the anointing. And they're like, why won't you just let tell us if you're God or not? We're like, okay, let's see how Jesus answers. Jesus answered them, I told you, and ye believed not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. Now, check that out. 
I cut him off. I didn't mean to, but I was so excited about this because I saw this earlier today. He said, the work, this is Jesus speaking. He said, the works that I do in whose name? His Father's name. The Father's name. The works that Jesus did, he did in the Father's name. The works that we do, we do in Jesus' name. Why? Because he's the one that does it through us. Isn't that cool? Jesus said, do it in my name. When Jesus left heaven and he got baptized in the Holy Ghost, he spent 40 days on the mountain. The Father God said, Jesus, he said, go do these works in my name. Guess what? Jesus came out of the grave. He walked, in, uh, walked on the earth for 40, minutes, for 40 days doing miracles, signs, and wonders. Then right before he ascended, he gave the command. Go get baptized in the Holy Ghost. Power, you'll be endued with power. And the works that I do, you'll do. It's not exactly worded that way, but basically he said, once, once I've been, he said, basically he said, I'm getting ready to go out of here, boys and girls. He said, now, go do the works that I do in my name. That's really what he said. You see, he commanded us to do exactly what the Father commanded him to do. 26. But believe ye, er, but ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. He said unto them, I'm not your shepherd, you're not my sheep. You're not going to believe anything I say anyways. Now, 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 now wait a minute, but these are Jews. But now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. He's talking to Jews. And Jews, they're the, they're, the, they're the descendants of Abraham, so uh, they're part of the saving people. And Jesus said, you're not my sheep. You're not my sheep. He says, you are not my sheep. Let, I want you to focus on that. He says, my, sh- my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. If you go back and you look at this, look in verse 14. He said, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep. And I am known of mine. Look at this. Again and again and again. Look at verse, um, verse 4. He said, And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. You are not, just because you are a born-again believer does not automatically make you a sheep. It doesn't. At some point in this series, we're going to do a sermon on sheep versus goats. We were looking at this, and I said, well, yeah, and this is a whole different sermon. But notice that he said, my sheep, I know them. And they know me. And they know me. If you do not have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, you are not a sheep. You're not one of his sheep anyways. You're not a sheep. Not one of his. If you don't have that personal relationship, you need to write that down. If you do not have that personal relationship where he knows you and you know him, you're not a sheep. And that's very important. Very important. Because remember, Jesus said at the time of judgment, at the judgment seat, he said that at judgment, he said there's going to be many that he's going to say, depart from me, I never what? I never knew you. What does he say about his sheep? They know me. He said, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. If you are, a, if you are purposely sinful, you're a worker of iniquity. You're not a sheep. You're not a sheep. 
So we need to understand that if we want to be a sheep and we want to know his voice, we're going to have to work on our relationship. A lot of people will say, God just never talks to me. Are you listening? Are you talking to him? Are you getting into the word and finding out how Jesus talks? Because most of the time, Jesus talks using scriptures. And if you don't have scripture in you, you won't know when he's speaking. He said, if you abide in me and I abide in you, if my word abides in you, then you abide in me and I abide in you. If, you're, if the word of God is not in you, you're not going to know the voice of God. Now, let me help you with this. Does that mean you need to have the Bible memorized from Genesis 1 to Revelations 22? No. No. But you do need to have enough scripture in you that you can hear the voice of God. Well, that you recognize the voice. That you recognize it and that you hear it so that you can begin to understand him when he talks to you. When he talks to you. Many of you have said... Man, I was dealing with a situation, and instantly I heard, Mr. Pastor Avi, I was dealing with a situation, and I heard, I heard your voice in my head, clear as day. You didn't hear it in your head. You heard it in your spirit. That wasn't me talking to you. That was God talking to you with the voice of your shepherd because you're familiar with the voice of your shepherd more than you're familiar with the voice of God. And God is using the voice of your shepherd to train you how to hear his voice. Very often. We, you guys have said to us, I was dealing with a situation. Pastor Mike, I heard your voice plain as day. You said da-da-da-da-da. He didn't say it. The Lord said it using the voice of your shepherd that you are connected to to help teach you and train you. The, the, the relationship between pastor and, and you is very important. The re- relationship between you and the great shepherd is an even greater relationship. An even greater relationship. But you need your pastor here to help you to learn and to grow so that you can learn how to hear from the Lord. Let's just finish off this one little segment. All right. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life. And they shall never perish, neither shall any man Pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them to me, is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Now notice he said, my Father, which gave them, the sheep, to me. Notice what it said. My Father, Jesus said, my Father, which gave them, the sheep, to me. Nobody can obtain sheep. true sheep unless the father assigns them that sheep why because a sheep will not listen to any other voice than the voice assigned to them they will not hear the truth if it's not the one that god assigned to them now notice he said this he said um gave them to me is greater than all so his father is greater than all and no now i want you to notice that right there it says no man that man is italicized that word, really, when you, t- when you look at no and is able, when you look at those two words, 
The indication is no, no one, no person, no thing. But you know, it's, demon spirit is a thing. Now, I want you to notice this. He said that no man, no person, no thing, no spirit is able to pluck me from my father's hand. Does it say that nothing shall ever remove me from my father's hand? No. No. You can be plucked from the father's hand, going back to the prior verses, but it's your choice. You can it's remove, your choice. You can't be plucked, but you can be removed. You can't be plucked, but you can remove. If you choose to surrender to a false teacher that leads you into false doctrine, then you're making the choice to be removed from the Father's hand. If you choose to submit to a hireling that, when the pressure is on, will thrust you out, deliberately hurl you out in front of the enemy, that's your choice. And you have removed yourself from the Father's hand. If you choose to get around people that you shouldn't be around and they begin to persuade you into sin, it's not their fault. That's your fault. They didn't cause you to be plucked out. You caused yourself to be removed. You walked out. You walked out. So this is a verse that's very, very, very... You know, a lot of people will say, oh, it's okay if I go off and sin because I can't be plucked from my father's hand. That's not what this verse says. This verse says that whatever you're involved with, that's that's not what can remove you. What can remove you is your choice, your own decision, because it's your own life that you get to lay down. And, of course, if you open the door to Satan, yep. he can't. he does then have the right to pluck you. Yep. And uh, for sake of time, we're going to stop right here, um, and uh, we'll point out a couple of things late next week probably on that. But those are the real key shepherd points. We're going to talk about uh, next week, we're going to talk about some characteristics of a shepherd. Um, and through some other verses, we're going to look at some things that the shepherd does uh, so that you can begin to understand it. Um, but... You need to understand that there's a, that you want your shepherd. You need your shepherd. And I'm not just talking about us as pastors because we have a lot of people that listen online. We're not your pastor. We don't even know you. I mean, we might know you. Like, I mean, I, we have people that we know that listen to us that we know personally, but we're not your pastor. We're an online person that you listen to. No, your pastor is somebody that you know intimately and they know you and that are placed in your life by God. Now, if you're listening and you're close enough to come to church and you go, no, no, you are my pastor, well, then I highly suggest you come into the house so that we can know that we're your pastor. <laughs> you know, uh, so, so be careful of that, mindful of that. Um, but, but this relationship is very important, and you're going to see that in the coming weeks because uh, it could, you know, not having this relationship can put you in some pretty bad ways. Um, you want to... Bless the tithe and the offering. Sure. Zach, if you'll come this evening. Lord, we thank you for this word. We thank you uh, for your leading and guiding. We thank you for drawing closer to us as we draw closer to you. Lord, we just know that your, your word is good and your word is true. And we will follow it and we will take it into our hearts and we will meditate on it. And it will bear fruit in our lives and the lives of those that we come in contact with. Because we share your word. You've called us to be a peculiar people and a royal priesthood. 
and ambassadors to you. And we will do all of these things. We open ourselves to that. We ask only that you give us the knowledge and the wisdom that we need and the boldness to, to, to stand and, and do your work, and we will do it. Lord, we just love you, and we thank you for this opportunity to give into your kingdom. We thank you for this opportunity to sow so that we might be blessed. Lord, we, we sow with a grateful heart. We, we sow with a generous heart because we love you and we want to see your work done. And we, and we, and we, we know it is our, the right thing that we should do. Glory to God. Glory to God. As the pastor was praying, I just, heard the, I just heard the Spirit of God say, Malachi. And of course, he's praying over the offering, so it's pretty obvious where Malachi to go. Malachi 3.8 says, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, wherein have we robbed thee? And the answer is in tithes and offerings. He said, because, and because you, have, and, and then verse 9 says, you are cursed with a curse, uh, for you have robbed me. When you do not sow your, when you do not give your tithe, which is 10% of your increase, um, because you are robbing God, you are cursed with a curse. You're opening the door. You're opening the door. What does that mean? That means that you are susceptible to sickness. You are susceptible to disease. You are susceptible to your stuff breaking down. You are susceptible to the enemy coming in to steal, kill, and destroy your life. That's what it means when you fail to tithe, when you fail to give an offering. Now, notice in verse 10, it says, bring ye all the tithe into the storehouse. Most people uh, think that their tithe goes to whoever they're listening to. No, your tithe goes to the local place where you are fed on a regular basis. That is your local church, um, which is another reason why all you onliners, if you don't have a local church, you need to get in one because you're not tithing unless you're sending your tithe in. You're not tithing and you're cursing yourself with a curse. Um, but then it says... Uh, he said, you're cursed if you're not tithing and if you're not sowing offerings. Now, your offering does not have to go to the local storehouse. But you want to be sure to sow your seed or your offering. An offering is anything over 10% of your increase. Um, an offering, it, what your offering does, it does something very different than tither's rights. As a tither, you have rights. You know, no sickness, no disease, your stuff lasts longer, sickness, disease comes on you. You say, uh-uh, Satan, I've got tither's rights. Something comes in to steal, kill, or destroy some part of your life. You go, uh-uh, I have tither's rights. You can't do that. But the offering is different. The offering is your seed that brings increase. And But, it, but you know, you can say, well, I'm not tithing, but I'm offering. Well, then you're not tithing or offering. You're just doing a percentage of your tithe. But your offering's what brings your increase. So, uh, you know, you might, you know, you might say, well, "Man, I just don't have anything to offer." Off, ask the Lord for seed to sow. It's better to sow a penny than to sow nothing at all. It's better to sow. Father, I don't have seed to sow, but I'm trusting you for seed to sow. Now, when that seed comes in, don't go eat it. When when an extra fifty dollars comes in. Don't go, oh, I get to go out to dinner. No, God blessed you with a seed, sow the seed so that you can go out to more than just one dinner. Now, why am I bringing this up? You trying to get something out of us? No, I'm not trying to get anything out of you. The church is just fine. 
What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get you prospering. I'm trying to get you increasing. Well, Malachi 3 verse 10 says, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Really, what I really, my, my real goal is to get you out from underneath the curse. Because he said, if you're not doing tithes and you're not doing offerings, now your offering, as long as it's good ground, it can go anywhere that the Lord leads you to do it. The Lord might say, no, I want you to hold that $5. I want you to sow it over here. If the Lord leads you that way, go do that. But make sure it's on good ground. What I, what's really stirring in me is the Lord wants you out from under a curse. So if you are not tithing or you're tithing but you're not giving offerings, start giving offerings at least a penny here or there so that you won't be cursed with a curse. Does that make sense? Father, we just thank you for wisdom, revelation, and knowledge. Father, I thank you that as the seed is sowed, as the offering is sowed, as the tithe is sowed, Father, not only do they have tithers' rights, but they also have an increase because they have seed in the ground to bring a harvest. And, Father, we give you glory and honor in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. You serve the people. As he serves you, I want to say this about the seed. Well, if I sow cash, will I get cash? Not always. When you sow cash, you will see greater increase in other areas of your life where you will prosper. It will take your tithers' rights to a whole new level.